I am so glad to be here. If there's such a thing as a home away from home, I don't know where home is anymore, but it, it seems like it's here. It was a, a wonderful number of years that the Lord let us be here and uh, prepare, preparing us for where we are now. Some of you may not know how blessed you are to be here. I get to travel a little bit around the country to other schools. And there may be visitors here today uh, who disagree with me, but as I travel to other Christian schools, I always get confirmed that uh, there's no place like the Master's College. God must have a very special plan for you if he's brought you to the Master's College. I say that from the bottom of my heart. With that comes great responsibility. My subject today, advancing the kingdom of God, is... You could say it another way. You could say, uh, what's the purpose of the Christian life? You could say, what did Christ save me for? You could say, what did he die on the cross for? You could say, as a believer, what's he going to give me my next breath for? See, everything else we're not going to be able to do in heaven that we do as Christians. Or we're going to be able, to put it another way, it's the only thing that we're not going to be able to do in heaven is to advance the kingdom of God, because everybody will be Christians there. And to the degree that we get drawn into other activities while we're here on earth, to the degree that we get sort of drawn in or sucked into the values and the priorities of the world, to that degree, you're going to waste your life. You're going to waste the spiritual gifts that God has given to you. You're going to waste what's significant. You're going you're to go after what is good and give up what is best. The Soviet church today is in a position with the new freedom that they have, position of great threat, great threat, more so than ever before. One Russian pastor said to me, oh, how much easier it was when all I had to do was die for my faith. All we had to do was die for our faith. Now with the freedom that we have, the world's values are beginning to come in, all the people coming from the West. And even well-meaning Christians coming in from the West who are bringing a dose of the condition of the church in America. And all of that, much of that, is not good for the church in the Soviet Union. I'm so thankful that Michael Belaus is here. Have you met him? Michael, where are you? Stand, wherever you are. Michael Belaus from the Soviet Union. Michael was one of my best helpers in the Soviet Union, and especially in, in the Republic of the Ukraine. Traveled with my wife and I many times. If you haven't gotten to meet him yet, get to meet him and help him in his time at the Master's College not to take on our values. He himself reminded me of the challenge that he has. He came to me and greeted me this morning, godly young man. And he said to me, and I don't want to embarrass you, Michael, but it's so important. He said to me, I've been to Disneyland. And I've been to Magic Mountain. And I told people that was great, but it wasn't great. It was only good. It was only good. But this morning, the time of prayer that we had this morning together, that was great. That was great. See, that's what he's coming out of. That's what he's coming out of. The church in the Soviet Union hasn't taken on the values of the world. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of First John. this music stand falls down, um, you, you may laugh. 
If I fall down, try not to laugh so loud. I wanted to be here instead of back there because I want to be closer to you, you know? It's hard enough to speak without putting stuff between you and the people that you're trying to encourage and minister to. I brought a Bible that I usually don't preach out of. You know how that is. It's not on the right place on the page. It doesn't have all the marks in I normally have there. Let me find it for a second here. I got it. The Apostle John here writing a message for the church in America, maybe more so than, than ever before, this has incredible meaning for a church. It has to have more meaning even than it did for the people of that time because the temptations are so much greater here than they've ever been before. The Apostle John writes in verse 12 in chapter 2, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. He's writing to little children, new believers, babes in Christ, those who are only able to handle the milk. And then he says in verse 13, I'm writing to you also, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. So he's writing here to all levels of Christians. But his emphasis really is on the fathers and on the young ones who have overcome. He's writing to mature Christians. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now to these people who mature in the Lord, he then has these words to say. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. To mature believers, do you understand that as a mature believer, right? It's hard not to love the world, isn't it? Especially the way the world is merchandised to us, it's hard not to love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him can't love the world and love God at the same time. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. If you love God and do his will, you're going to spend your life doing what counts, doing what counts. And you will experience joy and fulfillment that can never, ever come from the things of the world. The lust of the flesh. In America, you could translate the lust of the flesh to chasing pleasure. Chasing pleasure. Chasing amusement. Never before has a nation been so obsessed with chasing amusement and that which brings pleasure, any kind of pleasure. We have so many entertainment opportunities more in California than anywhere in the world, etc. You can fill your life every evening with a different kind of entertainment, and many people are doing that. That's a result of people who are obsessed with the lust of the flesh. You thought that was only sex. It's every kind of pleasure that a man or a woman would go after. 
Then he talks about the lust of the eyes. And the lust of the eyes, that relates to chasing stuff. Chasing stuff, materialism. Not inherently wrong to like things that God has brought into our country. But when you become driven and you chase them as a pattern of your life, then you are being cheated as you chase that which, that which may be good in time that you could be pursuing that which is best. And then thirdly, he talks about the boastful pride of life. Boastful pride of life. That's chasing a career. That's chasing status. Chasing status. And we in America, as no nation ever before, are consumed by these three pursuits. We chase stuff, status, and amusement. Probably in the order of chasing status. And with that comes power and resource. And with that resource, then we're able to chase the stuff and the amusement more effectively. That's what we do. And the church has bought into this. All of us have bought into this. Not so in the Soviet Union. There's no status to chase. Career mobility is, is nil, especially for Christians, has been. For anyone now because their economy is, is so fouled up and their government is in such a state of chaos that there's really no career potential except for those who are vying for political positions and and those aren't going to last very long because politicians aren't going to be able to hold their jobs very long because they won't be able to deliver and people will want to get rid of them, etc. For a long time that's going to occur until it stabilizes. But in the Soviet Union, the church has been isolated. The church has been isolated from this kind of opportunity. And so when you gather as majesty members experienced and as as many others who have been in the Soviet Union and spent time with the churches, when you gather with them in a worship service, when you gather with those believers, you gather with people who have a, a sincerity of faith and a focus on God that we have rarely seen or experienced in our lives. And so when a Michael Belaus comes here to Master's College, oh, I want so much for him to get further grounded in the Word and strengthened in every way. But I have to tell you that when it was possible for Michael Belaus to come to the Master's College, I began to worry about Michael. Because if he picks up here all our values and our culture, basically, and takes it back to the Soviet Union, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And so you have to help him. Help him stay on the mark. Help him somehow not to do that. I was so encouraged when he told me that this morning, that the prayer time was so much more important to him than Magic Mountain or Disneyland. And it's hard for you to understand the significance of that because I've never seen anything like that before. I mean, well, Disneyland and, and, and Magic Mountain, those of you who have been to the Soviet Union understand how that would be. I have with me here an article from the Houston Post staff. I've got to take a look at my my watch. In fact, my wife's watch. Doesn't she have a nice watch? I broke my watch two days ago and haven't had a chance to get it repaired. This article 
has a heading, Conversion Has Jamerson Aiming Higher. Huge article. It's about a young basketball player named David Jamerson. He was a first-round draft choice a year ago with the Houston Rockets, drafted by the Houston Rockets. What's significant about David Jamerson is that when he was a little boy, we used to take him to church. And when our son, Todd, who some of you know who's a youth pastor, was growing up, and when they played baseball, Todd was the catcher and David was the pitcher. He's from a broken home. He accepted the Lord when he was younger. He was kind of a driven guy. He was determined that he was, he was very gifted as an athlete. He was determined that he was really going to achieve. And so he went to a high university on a scholarship, graduated as an academic All-American, made all the records there. He's only six foot five. And then when he got drafted in the first round draft choice, my son called him on the phone and they renewed their former relationship. And Todd began to move into his life. The way he learned to move into a life here, the way you are taught to confront one another, right? See one another in sin, confront one another, restore a brother, restore a sister, Matthew 18. Todd learned how to do that here. And he started to talk to David on the phone. They would meet every chance they would get. David wasn't living for the Lord, and Todd really got in his face, as you guys say, right? Really got in his face. I, I couldn't believe how he did it. And David recommitted his life to Christ. I want to read a couple of things. Each. I, you know, I've been involved in sports ministries for a long time, but I've, I've, I've never seen an article like this in a newspaper. I've never seen anybody say it so clearly, and it has everything to do with what we're talking about this morning, okay? This young man had this to say. He said, there's a commandment that talks about having no other gods before me. I was putting everything before the Lord, including the NBA. What happened was I had achieved my lifelong goal at 23. How would you like to do that? All of a sudden, I'm in the NBA. I'm a first-round pick, and I've got three million coming in over the next three years at age 23. That was what I had been striving for, and that was supposed to bring me happiness. It didn't. There was a vacuum in Jamerson's life, and he began searching for meaningful answers to perplexing questions. Quoting him again, It's like you have all this fleeting fame, the riches, the dreams fulfilled, and then you realize, no, this isn't it. This isn't what life is all about. I began to understand I wasn't right with the Lord in a lot of areas. During his revealing summer, Jamerson, this, re this recommitment took place last summer, began to ponder much deeper questions than how to get off his jumper coming off a pick, whereas he had previously been noncommittal when those close friends discussed religion, he became receptive to what they had to say. For 22 years, I thought Dave Jamerson was the center of the universe. What happened last year shocked me into taking a hard look at myself. Jamerson quotes the Bible on a regular basis these days, relating the passages that he reads to events in his own life. According to Jamerson, the deep inner contentment he now 
has is helping him become a better player as well as a better person. It's all about getting right with the Lord. Putting him first and wanting to glorify him in everything I do. Before, I wanted the glory for myself. And that led to so much pressure. Now I have focus, discipline, and the freedom to enjoy the game and work hard. The coach goes on to talk about him having the strongest work ethic of any play. He's never seen a player work so hard. This total article is all positive. Born again, Jamerson has set his sights higher. I guess part of the reason I wanted to read that to you is to ask you to pray for him. He's really vulnerable right now. Really vulnerable. Can you imagine the attacks of Satan that are going to come on? This was last week's newspaper. Some of you may have even, some of you on high school staff at Grace Community might have been a part of a summer camp program at, at my son's Todd's church where he's a youth pastor. And David came for the summer camp program. They had about 100 high school kids there for the week. And at the end of the week, Jamerson was talking with these high school kids all week, and at the end of the week, he came to Todd and he said, he said, you know, this was the greatest week of my life. Not the day that I was drafted into the NBA in the first round, which is every young athlete's aspiration, but that week at summer camp, where he was with other young Christians and where, where they had time together in the Word and confronting one another in a good sense, helping one another grow. He said that was the best week of his life. I was kind of like that. You know, I was a driven... Those who have been around here for a while know my testimony. I was a driven young corporate executive. All I cared about was making more money and getting more status. That's all I cared about. I was totally driven that way. And when you get some of that, you realize it's nothing. It's nothing. And when you grow up in a Christian family, sometimes the forces and often of the world and the values of the world are crowding in on you where, where you kind of want to get your share of all that good stuff, you know? I'll tell you what will happen. You get your good share of that stuff and you have your eyes on the stuff and the status and the amusement more than on the Lord. And you'll wind up with a life that has no meaning at all. What a sad thing for a life, for a life that has been paid for by the blood of Christ to lose its meaning to the silly values of the world. Silly values of the world. I've been ten times now to the Soviet Union in, in less than two years. Every time I go, my life has changed. I don't know how much more my life can get changed. I want to tell you just as I close one experience. Those of you who don't know what the Lord is doing in the Soviet Union. I talked about the church earlier. The Soviet church is a proven church, tested and proven and fire. People who have been denied education, they've been denied the careers, they've, careers, they've paid everything for standing for Christ. Those are wonderful people. We have so much to learn from them. So you have, on the one hand, in the Soviet Union, you have a proven church, but it's only about one out of a thousand people. The other 999 are Philippian jailers all saying, how do I get saved? Will you tell me about God? Can you imagine? All levels of society, people are saying, what's the purpose of life? Why am I alive? 
What's going to happen when I die? Will you tell me? That's what they're thinking about. We're here in America. We are so obsessed with chasing stuff, status, and amusement that nobody ever asks those questions anymore. We live on the surface. We live so much on the surface that we had a, we, we had a game sweep the nation a few years ago. Remember the name of it? Trivial Pursuit. It said it all. That's where we live as a nation. That's where we live. And so much, even in the church, not so with the Soviet church. But guess what? Guess what? As we help them strengthen their economy and get it all together, so to speak, over there, the same things that are distractions here are going to be distractions there. So we have only a short window of opportunity to help the church, to protect the church, number one, and to help the church get the gospel to those 999 Philippian jailers out of every 1,000 people. In the month of August, I was in a Soviet city called Provigenia in the far east, almost to Alaska. I'd been there for the coup. If you have a good travel agent, they can arrange anything for you, you know? They arranged it for me to get there right on the morning of the coup. And uh, that's another thing, you know, that the Lord used the communists. I just got to say this so you understand. In Daniel chapter 2 and Romans chapter 13, the Word of God says that God raises up all the authorities. And for a lot of years, none of us really said out loud, even the communists, you know? You really believe that? That God raised up the communists? Or Hitler? Now we look back on 73 years in the Soviet Union, we see how the Lord used the communists. He didn't know that they didn't know that he was using them. But he used the communists to purify the church, to protect their sound doctrine. They don't have any liberal theology. It's coming in now. They didn't have any cults. They're coming in now. In a city where we now have three people, they, the Mormons have 40 people already. We, can only, we have three. And the Lord used the communists to destroy the country and in the process to prepare this harvest of souls that is nationwide in the Soviet Union. And then he used the coup to promote the harvest because everybody was afraid that that would occur. The Christians were less bold than they wanted to be in witnessing because they were afraid that the communists, strong communists, were going to take over again and round them all up and take some of them to Siberia. And so the Christians were a little timid about witnessing. And the people in the world who had been watching the Christians through the years of persecution respected the Christians, and they were looking to the Christians for answers. And it's incredible how the persecution gave the Christians the right to be heard. And everybody now was listening to the Christians. But the people in the world before the coup were also afraid that the strong communists were going to take over again. And if they became identified with the Christians, then they'd be off to Siberia also. And so there was a reluctance on both parts, on the Christians to go to them and on the world to come towards the Christians. But the coup removed all that. The Lord raised up those eight clowns just for three days. You know, and boy, were they, they were really clowns. I mean, they, they planned their, uh, their coup by going back to the 60s. They studied the files and the and how they, how they overthrew Khrushchev in the middle 60s. And then they implemented the same plan without noticing that life had changed a lot since then. There were things like CNN on the air in the Soviet Union, you know. I watched the coup in my apartment in Kiev on the second night on CNN. I think, Michael, you were there. can't remember. So the Lord raised up the coup, those leaders, for just three days knocked them down, and then everybody in the Soviet Union is saying, now we're really free, we're free indeed. And I traveled across Siberia, hearing that in every city that I went to. And after they would say we're free indeed, the next thing they would say is, but we don't know how to live with freedom. We don't know how to live with freedom. 
You've got to come and teach us how to live with freedom. And we would hold up our Bibles and say, here is God's word, and therein you will learn how to live in freedom. And so we came to the city called Provigenia, far east, almost to Alaska, an hour and 20 minutes only by small private airplane. Our missionary plane came over to pick me up there. No church in Provigenia, none at all. No church of any kind. There's a young Orthodox priest there trying to organize a church. It's a desolate place. No trees, no grass, nothing, just rocks. Apartment buildings coming out of the rocks. A really hard place to live and about 5,000 people living there. We visited the mayor of the city. He invited us to bring people to teach the Bible to the government leaders. We visited the House of Culture, and the president of the House of Culture said, Will you bring people to teach the Bible to everybody? We'll organize classes for all age groups. Bring missionaries to teach the Bible. We went, and by the way, the House of Culture also said, By the way, if you want to bring missionaries from Alaska, we'll teach them Russian too, no charge. Thirdly, we went to a school. And I always love to go to schools in the Soviet Union. Their schools are wide open. You know, here, you know, in a public school, it's difficult now for some for a Christian to thank the Lord in, their, in the valedictorian speech, right? We can't do that. In the Soviet Union, all across the Soviet Union, the principals are begging the, the pastors to send people to teach the Bible to all the children. No. And so here we were, meeting with this principal after we'd been talking with the children, teaching and giving out tracts. We came back to the principal's office, and he had a very sad look on his face, and I, I couldn't figure out why, and I thought maybe we'd said some wrong thing, you know? And then he said this with a real sad, just a great grief on his face, he said this. Because we had been talking about sending missionaries to teach the children. And he said, I don't have any budget for this. Where am I going to get the money? Where will I get the money? And your missionaries will probably want to be paid in dollars. Could we pay them in rubles? Now here's an, an unchurched, unsaved school principal so much wanting to have the Bible taught to the children in his school that he's grieving because he's afraid he won't have the money to pay the missionaries that he wants to come. And I said to him, Sir, I have good news for you. Good news. Churches in America are going to send the missionaries. And churches in America are going to pay their travel expenses. And a smile came over his face. But I thought, boy, I should try to get something out of this cash in a little bit, you know. So I said, but if you would be willing to provide housing and food while they're here, that would be wonderful. And so he agreed to do that. And so we left. The next day, well, just before we left, uh, two of uh, our two pilots had been staying in the home of the air traffic controller for that area, Soviet air traffic controller, and they led him to Christ. And uh, the next day when we were leaving, as we crossed from Soviet airspace into American airspace, that pilot or that air traffic controller came on the radio and I had a headset on in the airplane. And he said this in broken English. He said, God bless you and please come back soon. That was very significant. Not only that he had gotten saved the day before, but before the coup, he could have never said that on the radio. He would have lost his job. But it was a few days after the coup. And it's a new era, a whole new ballgame in the Soviet Union. Well, my time is gone. I can talk nonstop, as some of you know, about these kind of things. Because there's so much to say. There's so much that God is doing in that part of the world. I think Bob Guyman wants to come up and ask me some questions or 
something here very quickly, maybe something like that. Bob, thank you for sharing your heart with us once again. Appreciate that so much. As we continue our day of prayer, we wanted to ask Bob for some specific prayer requests that we might focus our attention on as we're thinking about advancing the kingdom of God. We have a microphone down in, down front here and another microphone in the aisle over there. As we spend a few moments in prayer, just please come forward and use the microphone and pray and then the next person come forward and use the microphone and pray. I'll close in prayer and uh, dismiss us for lunch and remind us about some of the activities this afternoon and this evening. But Bob, share with us a few prayer requests. I, I recently had a meeting with uh, um, a man who spoke at the Master's College graduation two years ago and now holds an honorary doctorate from the Master's College. His name is Dr. Grigory Ivanovich Commandant. He's president of the 3,000 Baptist churches in the Soviet Union. And I said, um, Commandant, we call him that, uh, Commandant, uh, what's, what's the biggest challenge the church is now facing? We were in an overnight train together, train sharing a train compartment. Uh, and he said, the number one problem we have now, our church buildings half finished and we're out of money. They weren't allowed to build new buildings until about two years ago. And they began to, as soon as government would start giving them property to build and all the churches had been meeting and, and little houses that had been converted, and many then took this opportunity to begin building new buildings. Uh, and they do all the work themselves. I mean, it's wonderful. I've, I've worked several days. Go and just work with them. I've mixed cement, carried cement. Just go help them. It's wonderful to do that. 50, 60 people working on a project every day, volunteers for like two years while they're building the building. Well, when they began, they had enough money. But the inflation has been more than 400%. That means if something was going to cost... $1,000, it wound up costing 4000 And so they're out of money. And I don't know if there are more than 100 churches in the Soviet Union that are half finished and out of money, nowhere to turn, and they do all the work. And so my first prayer request would be from Dr. Commandant, uh, asking for prayer that churches in America would come alongside these Soviet churches. And with a small amount of money, for like $5,000, uh, you can finish a church building because it goes so far. That would be the number one request. Just please feel free to come to the microphone and uh, pray, and uh, I'll close in prayer in just a few minutes. Father God, um, we thank you so much for sending Dr. Provost back to us. God, just to really um, give us an opportunity to hear what you're doing in the Soviet Union. God, I pray that you break our hearts for the lost, um, the lost all around us, but even the lost worldwide, God. Thank you, God, that they don't have the distractions that we do. God, the things that um, pull us so far away from you. We think uh, we feel so bad for them at times, God, and, and it is. It's a, um, it's a horrible thing, um, some of the economic things they endure, but God, at the same time, we pray that you bring persecution into our own lives, God. That we would give up the distractions, God, that tear us down, that keep us from you, God. The things that look so good to us, the status, the stuff, God, the entertainment. God, I pray that we would desire to be young people who would stand strong, God, in the wake of a, of a world, God, that is constantly spinning. 
God, I pray that we would desire to be used by you, that you'd send us even today, God, to the Soviet Union, send students here from this college, God, to infect the world, that you can use us and um, change the world, God. Lord, I thank you for those Christians in the Soviet Union and just what they've taught me. And I just want to thank you that just that the harvest is plentiful, Lord, and and I just feel in my heart how the workers are few. And Lord, I just pray that that you would raise up people to go over to those 999 Philippian jailers, God. I just I thank you for the Christians and what they have to teach us, and I pray that you would just keep them strong. But also, God, I pray that you would just raise up people from America and all over the world to to get over there, Lord, before everyone else does, and to just share the truth of your word and to share the truth of your love. I thank you so much for how receptive they are and how hungry they are, and I just pray, Lord, that that you would help us to go and to give up the things that we have here and to give up the things that are so distracting, Lord, just that we would make that sacrifice for you and for them because there's there's nothing that's worth more than that. I just thank you for those people, Lord, and I pray that you would send those of us from here that can go, that you would have us go. Father God, we're so thankful for Dr. Provost and the things you said today. And God, we pray that you would just really um, give us a burden for the people here and that we would learn um, to continue to seek you, God, and turn away from the uh, so many distractions that we have in America, God. And I'm just so thankful for what's happening in the Soviet Union, God. And thank you, Father, for the people even that I met last summer. And we would pray, Father, for them. And for the churches that need to be built, God, as the country is just literally falling apart. And even the buildings, God, are just crumbling. We would pray, Father, that you would truly um, work in, in our churches, Lord, that we would give and that we'd be able to build them churches. Even as Grace Community has been able to really fund a church and begin to send them some money for a church. And we're thankful, God, just for all those years of persecution, God, because now the fruit is so evident. And we would pray, Father, that you would send people, even from here, God, that we would go there and, and pronounce your truth or just give your truth to these people, God. They desire it so much. And, Father, that you would give them a desire for your word and for your truth, God, and maybe you close their ears to the error and the lies that are also being preached there now. God, thank you indeed for what you're doing there, and we pray that you would be glorified by what happens and that you would send the workers for the harvest is great. Father, it's such a great privilege to be able to have a day like this at school. And God, I feel like there's a, a spirit of revival that's coming across our campus and our student body and I pray that that's true. I know that in my own life that I, I feel like you are really working in my life today. You're renewing the, the importance of prayer and uh, dedication to you and uh, total dependence on you for everything that I do. 
God, even though I haven't been over to the Soviet Union, I feel like I've gotten a, a taste of the excitement of, of being over there from having spent time with my brothers who've both been over there with Majesty this past summer. God, I can I can see the great excitement that they have and the, the great compassion and love that they have for those people because of the experience that you allowed them to be a part of. God, you've blessed me with so much. And God, yet I, I still chase after so many things that make no difference. God, I spend my time pursuing things that are for my own enjoyment, my own comfort. And God, thank you for the reminder today that those things make no difference. And that I'm not here to pursue my enjoyment and comfort and amusement. God, help me to realize the purpose for my being here. The reason that you, you didn't take me to heaven the moment that I got saved. You left me here for a purpose. God, help me to see the great importance of advancing your kingdom and the tremendous need that people have to know you. Help me not to rest in, in the fact that I know you and be um, comforted in that fact, but to see the, the great need that people have and to have compassion on them and to, to see the, the role that you want for me to have to play in that. Lord God, please forgive us for being so materialistic and being so comforted here while there are even unsaved people in other countries, Lord, that are just thirsting for your word and and yet we just sit here, Lord God. I just pray that you would change us, change our hearts, Lord God, and break us. Um, Dr. Provost, forgive me for my audacity and interrupting, but I'd like to make a proposal, if that's okay. Um, I kind of think that if we're here and we, we're so materialistic, why don't we do something about one of those churches we as a student body could uh, chip in, I think, $5 a piece and maybe actually do something. Could we take an offering or something like that? Lord, I just I ask you, Father, just so much that you won't allow us to become spiritual couch potatoes. Just don't allow us to look at what's going on over in the Soviet Union and over in Europe and say, oh, we're too late. But let us to, to go over there and, and do with what God wants us to do. For those that feel the call, Lord, don't let the staleness that we have here in the United States keep us from going for all of us who have so many times had so much we see even on our television the lines are still there for the food but Lord the lines are even longer that are searching for you for each person that is over there we should be sending another to go alongside let us be disciples of those around us to go and send. Be with those, Lord, who go and feel the call. And have the churches that are here to send them, to give them a really strong sending. 
and just be with Him. God, I, I thank You for who You are and what You mean to me in my life and those here, Lord. God, I have so much. We have so much here in America. And oftentimes I think which would be better to be in Soviet Union and really know You or to be here and be distracted with all the things that we have. God, we... As Dr. Bob was just preaching, we want to go after stuff and things and prestige and power, Lord, but that's not it. And when we do get it, if we do get it, that's not where it's at. It's what we do for you. And I think right now, the Soviet Union, what a burden I have in my heart, Lord. That maybe you'd send me, Lord. I want to go there. And I think that Christians that we have here, Lord, and we're such a minority, and then even yet a minority of, of kids that could come here that could get the teaching and the theology and the doctrine and to, much, to whom much is given, much is required. Lord, we've been given so much that we'd go and maybe all of us would, would seek a full-time Christian work of something because we are such a minority, Lord, and we are being taught right. God working on us. I pray for the people in the Soviet Union right now. I pray that they'll be able to discern the truth and they'll see see you through the word and help the cults and the ungodly doctrines that come in. Lord, help them to be able to see the false teachers, but they're, yet they're so hungry and they're just looking for the truth. Help them to find it in you. I thank you for those that have gone, Lord, and that have a willing heart. God, thank you so much for chance that we can come and pray like this today, Lord. Help us to pray without ceasing each and every day and keep in, in our minds a, a mind of prayer each day and not just something like this special like this. Thank you so much. Father, thank you for the news of our brethren in the Soviet Union. I'm excited for them. I'm excited that they are receiving the word, Lord, freely now, not in hiding and in fear that they'll be sent to some prison, although that, stay, that still may be happening in some places, God. Obviously, you have been moving in that country, and we thank you for that. Father, what I am saddened about is our own country. We have failed to put you first in our life. We have uh, bought into the lies of Satan. We have uh, taken you out of a priority, Lord. I ask your forgiveness. On my behalf, corporately, Lord, I ask that you forgive us for not heeding to your word and loving the world more than we love you. And it's evident because we just see our society. What kind of society would continue to do this and love the Lord? I 
pray, Father, that you'd move in our hearts today. That if we leave this place, we won't be content with what's going on around us. But we want to make an impact, make a difference. And that's going to take obedience and discipline and suffering. Our Soviet brethren, Lord, have sowed to suffering for the last 70 years. Father, I don't know if we've even begun, but I pray that today in Master's College we would have a new heart, a changed heart. And I pray right now that whatever needs we can meet for our brethren there, we, we would do it. And if that means going ourselves and sacrificing our lives and our time and maybe our futures there, then let it be so, Lord. Amen. Father, Amen. I just come before you, Lord, and I, just, I thank you so much that you've given us the time to hear what's happening in the Soviet Union, Lord. And I just pray, God, that you'll forgive us because I know in my own life so many times I seek after you. I say I want to reach the world for you, but I only go to Christians and talk to the God, tell them the gospel. And that's not who we need to reach. So I pray you'll forgive us for just being so unwilling to reach those who need you so badly, Lord. And I pray that you'll just give us a vision for the people in the Soviet Union who, you know, they want to know you so badly, Lord. And we take it so much for granted, Lord. It's just. I pray you'll give us a vision to reach them and to help them to realize that you're the truth and you're the way. And I pray that in our own personal lives, you'll just help us to realize the awesome privilege that we have to worship you and to serve you. And give us a passion and desire to know you more and to help others to see that you are, you know, you're the one true God. And I just pray for those in the Soviet Union that you'll... Help them to keep their doctrine pure and not to become sidetracked with, you know, issues, but to just seek your word and to know you and to love you, Lord. Thank you for everything. Father, you've heard the prayers of our hearts. You've touched our hearts. You've challenged us again in regard to our own value systems, our own use of time, our own sense of priorities. We pray that you would not release us from your grip, continue to convict us, continue to mold us and shape us to be the exact servants you would have us to be. Thank you what you're doing in so many parts of the world, and we thank you for Bob Provost and for the dramatic, dynamic leadership role he has. We just pray for your physical strength for Bob. We pray for spiritual strength for Bob as he often works in isolation, as he models for us what a true servant's heart really is and lives knowing what self-sacrifice is all about. We thank you for your modeling love and acceptance and forgiveness in the person of your Son. And we just pray that our lives would ever more 
come into conformance with that. It's with reluctance that we even close this time of prayer, being in your very presence, sensing the power of your spirit, and sensing corrective action taking place in each of our lives. We, we thank you and praise you that you do convict us and lead us and guide us by your spirit. We pray for your continued blessing upon our prayer times this afternoon and then the Vesper service this evening. We give you the praise and the glory now and forever. Amen.